0: Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on October 2nd, 2022. Pastor Rem Dias brings a gospel message from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, titled, Above Approach. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. I'd like to be with you on this cool fall morning, we like to start our worship service remembering what we're gathering around, why we're presenting a church in Lincoln, and we find our mission statement at the very top of your worship guide. So those are in the back if you haven't got one. If you'd like to, so you can read along with me our mission statement. By grace, we are rooted in the gospel, committed to growing together, and sent to love Lakin and the nations. Speaking of growing together, small groups are after uh, church today. If you have questions about that want to get involved, you can speak to somebody. If you don't want talk about uh, come and talk to us afterwards. If you would, please rise, and we will join Chad in the call to worship. Good morning. Today's call to worship is based on Revelation uh, chapter 18 verses 3 through 4. I'll
1: read the unfolded portion that says, Leader, and I'll join in the golden portion that says, "All." Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God, Almighty. just and true are your ways, King of the ages.
0: Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your life. For you are
1: Worship guide, go ahead and flip it over. We um, read from Hosea this morning, and man, this passage really struck me. There's some powerful things here, and so this is Thomas. Hosea chapter six, one through four. It says, "Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down." And He will bind us up. After two days, He will provide us. On the third day, He will raise us up. That we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers. As the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? And what shall I do with you, O Judah? You Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Um, you know, I, I read that and I thought, Wow, what is the Lord doing? There? You know, He. I mean, what's the text say? It says He struck us down. There is an idea that the that, that grace is like it's it's graceful that the Lord was. Holy and graceful that the Lord was moving to them so that they could be revived. And you know, when I think of um, this time of renewal, I think when we think of conviction, conviction, when we, when we come here, and we think, I'm convicted of that. I'm convicted of what, what sin it is. That's being brought to my mind right now. That's grace. Like, allowing your heart to see, oh man, this is, this is, this is where I'm off. That's, that's God's grace. And so let us, let us come before Him. Those things being brought to you by your sinfulness. And let us see that's a, that's a grace that, that God's revealing that, that to you. Not to just completely bring you down. But for you to see that. And so He can bring you up. Hour. so let's let's fall in his grace in time to of, of the prayer and confession. I pray that you would help us to not uh, allow the voice of the enemy of our flesh um, to diminish the cross by saying, oh, just this is just who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm this sinfulness. I'm this mistake. You know, Lord Jesus, help us to understand you're bringing this up. Like, that's what the reveal it and that we confess it. Your grace is powerful. The cross has the power to redeem and restore it. We give you glory. We give you thanks for that. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to know you. And I pray for this city. I thank you for Lakin. I thank you for the ways that um, you have individually placed each one of us here. And I pray that God would help us to, to be and light to those around us continue to help us to be a light to those around us. And I especially pray that for even fields of faith this Wednesday is the gospel is proclaimed that people come together, uh, to gather to worship you on that, that field. I pray you would draw many to you, Jesus. And God, Father, we are so thankful for your word this morning to for your worship and all of it. But help us understand that when we walk out of here, that spending time with you isn't over. And that, God, you often want to speak to us and have all these little personal worship services all throughout the day. And so, Lord, I pray that we would rest in their that. So just continue, Holy Spirit, move through this service. Draw us closer to that we would love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the assurance of pardon comes from Psalm 145, verses 13 and 14. It says the Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Amen. Love that. He raises up those who are bowed down. So let's let's continue to sing together. Come to Jesus. you guys are looking great this morning It is it is great to be in the house of the Lord we we have some work to do this morning um, so let's 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 turn to first Timothy first Timothy chapter 3 um, and we are gonna I feel like it will pick up speed here um, as we go, we go we're going through this letter and it really is I there's a lot to say this morning, so we're not going to waste time to just dive right into this passage because there is, whew, there is a lot here. Uh, so we're going to be in chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's on the screen if you want to follow along on the screen. First Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All, All right. right, I'm titling this message, Above Approach, Above Approach, and let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful that you have given us this passage. Um, because there is so much direction here for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that you care enough for your church that you would give us these qualifications of another. And Lord, maybe not take taken lightly. Um, Lord, you know my heart even this morning. Just, yeah, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would help me just to protect my um, tongue protect the way I handle this scripture that I would carefully just show what is here and what is the biblical qualification of another and what they should be doing. Lord, thank you and I will just depend on your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was reading a commentary this week, and I came across this story uh, of a minister who once was preaching from this passage. He was preaching from this passage, and he took, uh, he wanted to make his sermon title one of the key phrases, one of the key phrases in this passage, which is above reproach. So he titled his sermon, Above Reproach, The Qualifications of an Elder. Uh, However, he sent it off to the secretary. And that Sunday morning, the bulletins come out. The bulletins come out, and instead of above reproach, it was above approach. Instead of above reproach, it was above approach. I started thinking about that phrase, above approach. And I often think that phrase is the way sometimes Christians feel when it comes to Christian leaders. They're above reproach, approach. And approach him, and somewhere along the way, we like that church bulletin have missed what God meant when He set up order in His church when it comes to elders. Uh, and so it's 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 amazing that God has given us two offices in the church. And uh, guys, really, this this passage of next week is really important. This so this week, He is going to give us what are the qualifications of an elder. Easy. We're going we're to examine this office of elder. And by the way, this is a little side note, next week, I mean, yeah, next, next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday because um, we're going to talk about the office of deacon. So elder and deacon are the two offices in the church. Uh, and I will be preaching that sermon. Uh, Steve Morfield will be here. So uh, let's, and I'll be up at Christ Covenant. We're doing our pulpit swap that week. Uh, so I'll be preaching at Christ's covenant while Stephen will be preaching here on deacons. And he's going to do a way better job than me, so just please be gracious to me when I return. He is, he is, he is a great guy. But anyway, so this week, elder. When you think of elder, when you think of an elder, what do you think about? And, and see, a lot of times this is what I think we think. Elders are just those, you know, the, the, the old people in the church. They, you got the gray hair, and they're just the older people in the church. An elder. The good old, the good old boys. You know, the good old boys. Those who meet once a month, and they talk about finances in the church, and, you know, they're always just making, they're just the ones, just the, the ones that make decisions in the church. Or maybe an elder is just the one who's just most likable, and, and, and that's what you think of an elder. The good news is that none of those is primarily what is here when it comes to the office of elder.
0: And also the good
1: news is that God has, He, is, he has cared so much about His church. He cares so much about His church that He is willing to give us these high standards of what an elder should be and what an elder should do. And so this morning we're going to look at what does, what does the Bible say we mean in an elder? And I think this is especially important to us as a church plant where we do not have currently any ruling elders. This is a very pertinent conversation we are having with Aspen Grove and Christ's covenant. How do we go about electing? How do we go about doing this? And let's just do something. Let's let the word of God speak. Let's, let's just see examine the passage and let the, the passage examine who we should put in office of elder. And so that is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to let the word of God wash over us and what does the Bible say we need in an elder? And so I got three observations, I know, three observations this morning on what we need in an elder. Number one, we need elders who have character over competency.
0: We need elders
1: with character over competency.
0: Now, notice
1: I did not say competency does not matter. I didn't say it doesn't matter at all. We can just throw out competency all. No, no, no. no we'll get to, there. There is, there is a part of another that he needs to be competent in. And we will get to that. However, character is way more important. I remember I was in a uh, seminary class and the professor was... He was telling us, to say, like, hey, everyone throw out, what are the qualifications of an elder? And everyone just started saying, some of them, you know, brother pro, sober-minded, not a drunkard, all these things. And he started putting them up on the board. And he started putting them up on the board and he said, okay, all right, he's like, do you notice anything? And he put a big circle around able to teach. And he said, this is the one competency, which I'm actually going to I think there's actually two. I disagree with him a little bit. He said, this is the one competency, able to teach. And the whole rest of the list has to do with character. And what we've done in the West is we've flipped it. We have said, how competent are they? Are they super gifted? And Do they know a bunch of theology? And we have diminished character. And when you flip it, that's where we get in danger. When you compromise character because of how competent they are. No, 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 no. I love what one um, one theologian says. It says the usefulness of an elder will depend in the long run more on his character than on his gifts and knowledge. You look about around the world and where are pastors, where are elders falling short? It's not because they're just terrible preachers. I have never met any pastor or any elder that's being fired just because of they're just bad at preaching. But I have known personally and I've heard stories of constant elders, constant pastors falling because of moral failures, lack of character. So he's saying it's character, character, character. And and so verse 1 though, look at it. Let's just I'll show you. The saying is trustworthy. So this is Bringing emphasis. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires. Everybody say aspires. There you go. To the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, before we dive into each one of these characteristics, we've got to do a couple of side points here. All right? To, so, because if you don't get these, it's kind of not going to make sense. Okay? Let's look at that word overseer. That word overseer is the Greek word, and we're going to put our seminary hats on just for a sec, sorry. The Greek word episkopos, alright? Alright? The Greek word episkopos. That word is, means engaging in oversight or supervision. But what is fascinating in the New Testament is the word overseer and the word elder. Elder, buteros. That's my cool. Which, does that sound familiar? Presbyteros. That's actually where we get our name Presbyterian. And that's what we just might stop learning. Because we are ruled by elders. So, overseer, Piscopos, elder, presbyteros, and the word pastor, which is poimen in the Greek. And by the way, that word poimen is just translated shepherd. Shepherd. Alright? Those three words in the New Testament are always used interchangeably. A pastor is an elder, an elder is an overseer, an overseer is an elder, an elder is a pastor. And you see this all throughout, but I just wanted to put one example. 1 Peter 5, 2. So I exhort the elders, presbyteros. So I exhort the elders, us, among you, as fellow elders, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, poimino, that's the Greek verb tense of shepherd. Okay? Appointment. So that's where we get our word pastor. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising Oversight, episcopate, that's the verb tense of episkopos, or where we get our word overseer. Not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now you might be like, Ren, why are you showing What is that about? Because you have to see that elders are pastors, and that just blows everybody's mind. Because you're like, no, 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 that's, you no, an elder in the New Testament is a pastor, and a pastor is an overseer, and an overseer is an elder. That's just how it was interchangeable, and you see this not just in that passage, you see it in uh, Titus, you see it in Titus 1, you see it in Acts 20. I mean, you have to see, these are interchangeable, it's an interchangeable office. So, also, you have to get this, you have to get this before we get to the scriptures, every church, Every church in which leadership is referred to in Asia minor under Paul has associates or or, or under Peter are governed and ruled by elders. A plurality of elders. I mean, you see it in Acts 14, Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 5, every key church in it and Macedonia, or Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, you have those churches being ruled and governed by a plurality of elders, pastors, overseers. Everyone. So if you're like, "Well, oh, we don't need to, we don't need to have, no, this is the biblical standard of how God has orchestrated and moved his church. So, with those aside, what is it? What is it? Who is it that an elder should be? Okay. The word. Let's get into it. They are those who first want to be an elder. Do so you notice right here it says desire, they desire a noble task. That first Peter passage that I just read says not under compulsion but willingly. They want to be an elder. They desire to be an elder. Uh, we're, we're reading a book in the men's group right now called Workers for Your Joy. And the quote on the back of the book says this. The prospect of submitting to an elder drastically changes when you know he isn't proving his, pursuing his own private advantage, but genuinely seeking yours. So he joyfully wants the office, he joyfully desires the office because he wants to work for your joy, your joy in Christ, your improvement in Christ. He desires it. However, we know desire is not enough. I mean, I could desire to be a brain surgeon and I could go out and buy me a little drill and a little costume. And uh, just because I desire to be a brain surgeon doesn't mean I probably should be a brain surgeon. All right? All right, you're probably like, hey, I read. No. you like, desire is not enough. Desire is not enough. Just because you want to be, does it? it's not enough. Because why? Right, let's dive into it. Verse 2. Above reproach. He must be above reproach. And one thing I want to say, each one of these qualifications of an elder, they can fall into three categories. Your private life, your public life, your private life, your public life, and your personal life. Each one of them falls into these categories. So this first one, above reproach, is his public life. And this best could be summed up like this. Being above reproach means that an elder... To be the kind of man who no one expects wrongdoing or immorality. People would be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such acts. Now, this does not mean above reproach, does not mean he's perfect. Um, but again, you look at and you're like, wow. I mean, it would just be hard for you to see him morally Like, not him because he is above reproach. And really, this above reproach is the it's the drawer that all the rest of the characteristics go into. I mean, this this above reproach really summarizes the rest of these character qualities. So, above reproach, that's his public life. Next, the husband of one wife. And this is his private life. This is the category of his private life, and this one has caused a lot of confusion. This one has caused a lot of confusion because, um, so let's dive into what it, it actually doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you've ever been divorced or, you've ever, um, or you ever or you're woman, you've been remarried, that you couldn't be in the office of elder. Now, with the idea of divorce, it's like hey. We, we, there has to be healing. There has to be reconciliation here. There's, there's, there's ways that okay, we have got to see that that's there and that's healed and that's moved. Um, but that's it doesn't automatically disqualify those two categories. It's also not disqualifying a single person. And why do I say that? Is because who's writing the letter uh, right now? Paul. He's single, uh, Timothy single, and uh, Jesus. So, uh, pretty sure they're they were qualified. And so, it doesn't mean that. But what does it mean? What does it mean? And again, what it means is I think it really helps us to see again the Greek here. And the Greek is a it translates a one. Here it is, a one woman man, a one woman man. And what it means is, is that an elder, if an elder is married, he is faithful to his bride. He understands the beauty that is there in the covenant of marriage. And so that changes the that changes men the what you what you watch, what you spend your time on. Who you're around, what you're doing on your computer, what your phone, he is a faithful, faithful man to his wife. Before we have any business, I have any business leading in the church, you lead your wife. You prioritize, that is the most important relationship outside of a relationship with the Lord. You prioritize. Her over your job, you prioritize her um, over over really anything else because you are you're leading her. You lead her. Uh, I remember um, I was listening to this and there was one pastor who said, "Okay, imagine if there was a reality TV show." This is really give me some truth. and that, a reality TV show of your of your life, and they followed you around. And, and they, they, just, they just followed you around and how you interacted with your wife. So what would the reality TV show show? Would it show a man that is loving, serving? Um, again, man, this is not perfection. No, you're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. But you fall in surrender, you go and ask for forgiveness, you understand that this is a big deal. She, I mean, faithful to her, I'm a one woman man. And then, self controlled. He's self controlled, which is, uh, and, and so reminded. So self-control and sober-minded go kind of together. And again, this is the personal life. And sober-minded means just he's, he's clear-headed. It means he's clear-headed. He's not going every new and which way with the culture. He's sober-minded. He's he's not arrogant. He's just being he's clear-headed. And then it's said, again, it's self-control, fruit of the spirit. He said. Man that keeps his you get this his appetite in check and not like just his big one but the appetite of his flesh like his fleshly desires for things of the world he's self he can keep it in check and what is the one that actually he gets to right here uh, he's not and he's like let me just test you with this he says he's not a drunker doesn't say alcohol or that beer is bad, but he's staying self-controlled and disciplined in that, that he doesn't do it in excess. He's not constantly getting drunk, but he's respectable. That was the next one. He's respectable. You can look at this man and say, you know what? I can honor him. I can honor him. And so the next two, able to teach in hospital, we're going to come back to but then he says, not violent, but gentle. And this is the elder's personal life. Not violent, but gentle. I love what one famous proverb says. It says, when the elephants fight, the grass is trampled. When elephants fight, the grass is trampled. Likewise, when you have violent elders, or that word translates some translated, bullying when there's bully, aggressive, combative elders, the sheep will suffer. He must not be quarrelsome. That doesn't mean he's, he doesn't, uh, he's not ever strong and whenever tough times arise that he's, he's, he can press through it. It doesn't mean, no, being gentle doesn't, again, he's not laying down. He's, He's bold. He's courageous, but he's not going around looking for problems and just to just stir up strife. Because he's not quarrelsome. One of the one of the books we read in our men's group, there was a quote from there, and it says this: Are you gentle or heavy-handed? Are you a peacemaker or fire starter? Do you listen well or talk? Over others to express your own opinion. And that's again, and I want to interject this in this sort of is like when it comes to these qualifications. And if you're you thinking, oh, is that is that me or not? All all week this week, you know who I was asking? My wife. I was like, hey, is this me? And this isn't side. I think I prayed more I, and I, I, I know I've, I've said this but I'm honest, I think I prayed more on my knees this week than any other and I don't mean to say that like uh, they look at me but because this is heavy for me this is heavy because this is God's standard and it, it I just we need him and we need him in this. And so, ask others. Is this me? And then the next one. He says, "Keep going. I'm just get Man, not a lover of money. That's his personal life. And what does that mean? Not a lover of money. But does it say that money is not important? Money is. okay, we deal with money? We we have to manage it at all. Well. But you're not. You're not living for the next buck. You're not constantly consumed with how much money you have. I heard one pastor tell me, he's like, hey, let me see your checkbook and I can tell you where your heart's at. I said, hey, let me see your bank statement. And it's true. I mean, you talk about a way to reveal a man's heart, reveal our heart. Just just look at how we're spending our money. And he said, okay, this helped he doesn't. He's not greedy. he doesn't constantly desire money. And if those aren't enough, then he goes into a big one, which is this private life, which is this, verse 4. And I say it's a big one because he spends a lot of time here on this one. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? Now, this this does not mean that your kids need to come in here and they have to have perfect little comb overs and they're all cute and matching and they're sitting in the front row with their Greek New Testament critiquing my sermon and saying, "Hey, now I mean that's great. You want you want to teach your kids Greek?" You want to sit in the front row? Great, but that is, it, it doesn't mean that they're again we're not it's not perfection it's, it's not decided that, that they're that there there's gonna be these perfect little individuals no but the elder an elder understands this your family is your first church the Puritans used to say the uh, love this the family is a little church the family is a little church. And the man of God understands that. He, he disciplines, and this this really I me, he disciplines his kids with, and the key word in the text is dignity. Dignity. That word means not with constant anger and inconsistent with discipline where you're like a tyrant on the roll, just whipping them in, into submission, but you gently, lovingly lead their heart. You're longing for their heart does not mean you don't ever blow it. Oh my goodness, your pastor this Monday, as I was literally riding probably at this point and talking about it, blew up and and fell on my knees. But, here it is. Before a man has any business leading in the church, he has to be leading in his home. Matter of fact, the, the testing ground, the real testing ground, whether we see if an elder is qualified or not, We say, let's look at the home. Let's look at the home. Again, is is he praying for his children? Is he teaching them the Word? Is he modeling to them repentance? Asking forgiveness, being humble, prioritizing time with them over again, your job. Your hobbies, anything else in your skill? You, you understand this is this is my church, this is my little home. Okay, how can I shepherd? How can I lead them? How can I gain their heart? How what am I? What's my vision for my kids? Where where do I want to see them in the future? How am I breathing the, the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus in them? And why is that important? Why if you're not doing that? Because it says again, if you can't do that. If you cannot lay down your life and serve them, you're not going to do it for a congregation. I remember before I took this job, actually, man, I was just really struggling, like whether it being called here because of this, actually, this this qualification, this qualification, terrified because I was like, wow. And a pastor told me. uh, a pastor at Pittsburgh, He he said when he was interviewing there, he's been there thirty years now at this church. He and he said you need to tell this to Grace Lake. I don't think I've ever told you this, um, but he said you need to tell you need to tell them that they have every right. They have every right for <laughs> to put the demands on you to for you to work hard. To be a heart, to be a pastor that pours his life out. Hey, I mean, just joyfully serving you guys and joy, trying to really come alongside you. Where are you struggling? Pour my life out. Work hard for glory. You have every right to call that from your pastor. However, you do not have the right to ask me to sacrifice my family on the altar of the church. And, and, and that's true, and we see it, and that is hard. And, and, and men, if you, are dis, if you are aspiring, like you want this office of elder, I, again, it's first saying, okay, how is it in your home? How is your first church plant going in the home? And, and, and again, when you're falling in this area, you, you fall, you fall, you fall on His race. No more. <laughs> he must not be a recent convert, or he would be puffed up with conceit and fall into the combination of the devil. Now this word, recent convert, recent convert, this is uh, this is idea this idea of newly planted. It's literally like um, a plant that just has not had time for the roots to grow deep. It hasn't weathered the storm of trials to weather the storm of of constant repentance. Now this does not mean this does not mean that a young person can be an elder. It does not mean that. What he's talking about here is spiritual maturity. I mean you can be 75 and just became a Christian not long ago and be spiritually an infant. Or you can be 25 and you've been a believer most of your life in weathered repentance, and storm, and be qualified. Because it's, you're not a recent convert. And why does he get, this is really true, why is it that he can't be a recent convert? It's because he might be puffed up with conceit and pride. And you think about it, he says, this is what the devil did. You know, he was, he got prideful, he wanted to take over and there's something he's saying. He's saying there's something about someone who's new to the faith that if you start putting them instantly in a leader position, then, then, then there might be some pride and arrogance there that they will fall into thinking, I've got it. And then the other one, thought well by outsiders, is linked to reproach. You, you just thought well by outsiders. They look at Does not mean that you, everyone loves you? Does not mean, I mean, that's just not going to be the okay, game I mean, not, not everyone loves them all? But it's just, again, you're a brother, person. It's a man that you can hold on. And before we move to what another is actually going to do, I want you to see here that this idea that he talks about the enemy and the devil a lot in these last two verses. And I can tell you guys, it. This office, men, if you aspire to it, you aspire, it, you will be attacked. The enemy does not want us to have healthy elders. The enemy does not, and he wants to take you out. And so let us just even say that and say, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. And I am begging you, if you do anything for just pray for pray that would be on guard against the attacks of the enemy. All right, so that's what an elder, who he should be. And if you're like, whoa, gosh, that was one point and it's, we're a commuter. Like, I'm going to go through this next one really quick because now we're shifting. This, that's what an elder should be, his character. What should he do? And this is where we get a lot of wrong. What should he be doing? What are elders doing in the New Testament? Well, well let's look. And let me actually summarize it like this. They feed the word. The number one thing they're doing is they feed the word. We need elders who joyfully serve and feed the word of God. Titus uh, 1.9 says this, and this is, you know, Titus and and Titus 1 and 1st and Timothy 3 both give us these qualifications. Um, 1 Timothy 3 says, able to teach, and, and Titus is actually just going to flush that out a little more. And he says this, he may be able to give instruction, he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also be able, also to rebuke those who contradict it. So an elder is feeding and leading through the word. He's, that means he's a student of the book, he can pick up this book and say, you know what? My primary duty is to feed the congregation, to to help them see what's here, and and did you notice in in Titus, it's in a way that protected. I know the word enough that I can actually protect it. I can notice where false teaching is off and I, I can protect. And so elders, they need to be the ones teaching. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, a Yes, we're not saying every elder needs to be this gifted speaker who comes up here and 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 preaches. But I did find it in that book we're reading, this uh, "Workers for Our Joy." Uh, it gave a pretty morbid uh, illustration to pastors, uh, the the ones that are doing most of the teaching. And said, um, "Help your congregation to see this. If you die Saturday night." pretty bad. Um, if you die Saturday, if I die Saturday night and you can only pick one or two people in your congregation the next morning to preach the word of God, who are you picking? Who's going to come up here take the word and and and, and proclaim the truth of scripture? Listen, this means that elders Elders are soaked in this word. doesn't I mean they have to go to seminary and have to be you know, just proficient theological brains. I mean, no, but they can pick this word up and understand that my primary, like how we lead our people is they need to know who God is and we're, and we're teaching That means we're we're leading through teaching. And that means if we have the primary responsibility of teaching and, and shepherding through, again, discipleship, I mean, not just primarily here uh, on a Sunday morning, with the text over preaching, but Sunday school, small groups, discipleship groups, calling people up, pointing them through the word. They're, they're feeding the flock. In order to do that, again, it has to be coupled with prayer. The elder is praying and saying, okay, this I need help seeing this. And, 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 and in order to protect the flock too, he's got to know, okay, where are they struggling? In? What text should I help them in? And then he says, so able to teach, but also he says hospitable. Hospitable. Hospitable literally means, the translation, a love for strangers. A love for strangers. He goes out of his way to open up his home for those who are outsiders, who are hurt, who are broken and for those in his own flock to care for them. He's hospitable, brings them in, and that, I think that goes coupled with a competency because that's, that's a hard thing to do. And it's coupled with able to teach because again, the best teacher are the ones who walk alongside, you build the trust, and now you know their life, and now you can hey, I know where you're struggling, let me, let me point you to the Word, let me shepherd you with the Word, let me know you I love. I loved it and again in our ministry we read this brown book called Church Elders and it says you want the, the shepherd needs to smell like the sheep it would be really weird uh, for to say I'm a good shepherd and he smells nothing like the sheep because he's not around the sheep say no we want elders who are Coming alongside the congregation and getting involved in their life and loving them. Well, how can I be praying for you? What is, where are you? Is there anything you need to open up your home? Bring them in. And finally, we need elders who sit under the true shepherd. Again, I I read this, and I, I read this passage, and I just thought, I don't know if, been, if you're feeling this, like I felt like, well, whoa, uh, sounds pretty un- unattainable, sounds heavy, sounds like that's, whew, how in the world, and that's actually what it's supposed to do. So just it's being exposed and think wow, that is hard, and you fall and say, the only true shepherd who did this perfectly was Christ. He is the only one who did these qualifications perfectly. And we want others understanding that and, 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 and falling under him. Meaning, that doesn't mean that you, we could say, well, that's unattainable, that's only what Christ did and he's the only one that, that lived up to these standards so we can throw these out the window. No. No. We're not saying that. We can't say that. But man, if you looked at this this morning and when I said one of these just instantly, you were you were cut to the heart. Oh, man. This one, or that one, or that one, or this one, and that one, and that one. What should the response be? Should it be like, oh, this is untenable. it's not even true. No, that's actually grace. That's actually saying, oh my goodness, I need to fall and surrender and trust the gospel enough that he can and repent. Turn from that area in your life and say, This is a week, Lord Jesus. Please, I want to turn from this and transform me and believe the gospel enough. Believe the gospel enough that it has the power to transform, it has the power to move in your life, to transform that area in your life. Where now you can say, Man, again, it's not that you're gonna do it all the time. Always perfect, but you're believing the gospel enough. You're believing enough. This is who Jesus, the perfect Shepherd, is, and He can redeem these things in me, and I'm going to give them to Him. And I would also say, in close, congregation, let us pray. Can we just start praying? I'm really praying. We're saying, Lord, please help us when we come. When, when, and you know, ask the crow, Christ, how we're going to do the other thing. That our our assessment would be okay, the Word of God. We're going to start with the Word of God. And we're going to say, Lord Jesus, please help us. Help us to see who, and then, and then, congregation. When that day comes, when we put elders in office, we are going to say, "Okay, this is who they are." Lord, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them because I know they're under attack. I'm praying for them that we've gone through this front, and I'm praying that we, yep, though, I'm submitting. I'm trusting in their leadership and guidance. We need to be praying. We need to be praying these qualifications, not just over man. And you'd be like, well, I don't desire to, to be an elder ever. And no, these are all qualifications all of us should strive for. These are characteristics of all of us in Christ, rooted in Christ. What should you look for. And as I close here. Jesus did not just come, listen, Jesus did not just come to forgive you of your sin. Amen. He did that. Absolutely. He did come to forgive you of your sin. Yes. But he also came to offer you a transformed life. A daily transformed life. You're forgiven of your sin, but continue to mold you and shape you in to His image. So let's keep looking to Him. That transformer, that, that shaper, the perfect elder, overseer, shepherd, Jesus. Lord, I just thank You for Your Word and I pray that, Father, You would help. We we need Your help. We need Your help. Lord, I am praying for the, the man this morning who, as I read through this, just felt, even now, like, man, I'm off in this area or I feel heavy in this area or this area or this area. Lord Jesus, let them understand that right now to repent, to, to, to turn from those areas and fall again upon your grace and believe the gospel enough that you want to transform that in their life. Give us wisdom to, as a congregation, to lovingly hold elders to this standard in a, in a joyful way in a way that's saying not to be hypocritical hypocritical point of view but a way of lovingly saying the purity of the church the purity of the church your bride Lord is so precious that that's why you hold these standards so high and so Lord, I just pray for the purity of the church. Lord, we we ask for continual wisdom and discernment for this office elder here at Grace Lake, Lake but also next week, deacons. So that Lord, we would be more fruitful for the gospel's sake here in Lake. Lake. And so that your household, as you say, would be guarded and protected and fed and led even better. And so Holy Spirit, help us, guide us, direct us in this. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, well, as, I, as we come to a, a time of the Lord's table... Man, and you think about huh, what an elder should be is, uh, is really just constantly laying down his wants, his, his needs, his desires. And again, we, we know the perfect shepherd is Christ, who perfectly like ex- exemplified a sacrificial life by saying, you know what? I love those people, I love my people that I'm willing to have my body broken on the cross and my blood shed so that they could be redeemed and restored and have a transformed life in, not just that, but I would bring glory to my Father. And so I want to remind us again that sacrament is a way that we believe that the Spirit actually works in the sacrament in a way that brings us closer to union with Him through what the Spirit's doing. It's, it's actually allowing us to be in His presence, to strengthen our union with this perfect shepherd. And so the words of the institution, 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Do this in remembrance for me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in remembrance of me. So again, this is the Lord's table. This is for those who are saying, I need you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. And I need to fall again. I need to fall upon your grace again. I am falling short in these characteristics. Lord Jesus, this is where, and let that drive you to the table, is you believe in him. You believe he's sufficient for your failures. This is not for the only if you're still figuring out, I don't know who Jesus is, I'm, I'm just trying to figure him out, then I would just invite you in this moment, sit in your pew and just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you, you have the key mind Here, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Lord Jesus, again, just, I thank you for this table. I pray that right now, Lord Jesus, you would come. You're here. But Lord, Holy Spirit, come in a way that Lord, we would we would not look at this lightly. We would not take this lightly. We would we would be in awe and wonder that You would lay down in life for us. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts. Help us to examine ourselves. And I just pray that we would come faithful to the table. We would come in need. That's where it is good faith. We've just come to me saying, I've got to have, I've got to have Jesus' sacrifice. I have to have it. I have to have it. I have to look at it. And so, bless this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>
0: Joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Laken KS, on YouTube, and at gracelaken.com.